going to give me something, I probably won't do their survey. But I saw one of those that was put in the paper. They had eight people's pictures, kind of a little bit about them, what they did for a living, what their name was. And here was the question they asked, are you going to heaven? Eight people asked the question, are you going to heaven? Or at least eight people made it into the paper. You know what surprised me? Not one single person said no. But also not one single person said yes. It was amazing. You're asked the question, are you going to heaven when you die? And you don't have an answer. It's not yes, it's not no. It's, well, I hope so. In fact, one person said, I got a 50-50 chance. I thought, so is that what it comes down to? There's going to be a big coin flip when you get to heaven. Welcome to the pearly gates. Where's the quarter? Sorry, came up tails. One person said, I got a 95% chance. So what's the 5% that's holding you back? Here's the point. You can be sure today that you're going to heaven. You don't have to go through life without blessed assurance. I can't imagine living life not sure where you're going to spend eternity. So let's open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. And really, everything Jesus has taught up to this point is led to this point. Really to an invitation. He's taught the Beatitudes. He's taught what the kingdom of heaven is like, what it's not like. And so he comes to the invitation. And he asks the question, or he basically says, enter. So let's look at verse 13 and 14 first. Jesus speaking, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So based on the teaching that Jesus has had up to this point, he says, enter, come in, the door's open, but enter the narrow way, not the broad way. So the question is, which path are you on? The narrow way, the word he uses for narrow, the root of the word means to groan. It means it's a hard way. It's a way that many people will not find, the narrow way. In fact, it means small. It's where we get the word stenographer from, small writing. So he says, enter the narrow way. And here's how narrow it is. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's John 14, 6. He's been teaching his disciples right before the crucifixion. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And as, if I go away, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. And you remember what Thomas said? We don't know the way. How are we going to know where we're going? And so Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Did you catch the last part of the verse? No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't get any more narrow than that. What it means is Jesus is the way. In fact, he's the only way. So when Jesus says, enter the narrow way, Jesus knows what he's asking to do is hard. It's difficult because the way that leads to destruction is wide open. It's broad. It's an open playing field. It's easy. It's kind of like a drain that everything's going to eventually go down. You could fall accidentally into the wide way, and that's the way most people are on. I remember playing baseball as a kid. Our front yard was home plate and first and second base and third base. Left field was another neighbor's yard, and then there was a street that cut through the middle. So right field and center field, you had to play across the street. And about center field happened at least once a day. Somebody would hit a ball that would go to center field, get caught in the gutter of the street, and go down into the sewer. And they would always pick somebody that had to reach in there and they'd hold their legs and dip them down into the sewer to get the baseball out. And I normally was that guy. Because I was young, my brother was older than me, and he threatened me a lot. 
And that's what I think about when I think about the broad way. It's the way that is just easy. If you don't give any intention to it, any purpose, any strategy, you're going to be on that way. And so Jesus warns him about that. Take the narrow. Go to the narrow way, the small gate, because that's what leads to life. And the word he uses for life is the word zoe. It means abundant life because the way is wide. It's broad that leads to death and destruction, literally utter ruin. I don't know how, what the biggest highway you've ever been on, but the biggest highway I've ever been on was Southern California, 12-lane highway. It was right outside of San Diego heading towards Tijuana. Six lanes going one way, six lanes going another way. That's a broad way. The thing that amazed me is they had watch for pedestrian signs. Anybody ever seen those in San Diego? The watch for pedestrian signs here is like this mom and dad holding their child's hand. It's like they're going to church or something. They've got a Bible in their hand. They're walking in. The signs in San Diego, they're running. And the kid's like parallel to the ground. They're holding the kid's hand with his feet are up in the air. And what are they talking about? They're talking about people coming across the border and would run across the interstate to avoid getting arrested. You don't want to be running across a 12-lane interstate, no matter how desperate you are to get out of Mexico. But that's the broad way. Jesus says, take the narrow way that leads to life. I was asked as a teenager, I can remember this, somebody said, Robert, you think there'd be more people in heaven or more people in hell? So I thought about it. I used my little human wisdom as a teenager, and I said, I think there'd be more in heaven. God's going to win. God's going to reign supreme. There'll be more people in heaven. Then you come to this verse and other verses in Scripture, and realize, no, there's few that choose the right way because everybody's on the path that leads to destruction. So what is that a warning? If you're traveling the same way everybody else is, you might be going the wrong direction. You need to be going the way that leads to life. So that's the call. That's the invitation. Then there's a warning. Let me read verses 15 through 20. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but, in, but the bad tree, or the tree that bears bad fruit, a good tree cannot produce the fruit, bad fruit, nor can a tree produce good fruit. Let me read that again, verse 18. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. So Jesus gives a warning. He says, beware. Words like that in Scripture, need to, you need to see bells and whistles going off. I know none of you up here remember Lost in Space. Do you all remember the show Lost in Space? They had a, a robot. Warning, Will Robinson. Warning, aliens approaching. When you hear beware in Scripture, it means to hold the mind to. It means pay attention. So Jesus is saying, I'm about to warn you of something that's life or death. Beware of false prophets. False prophets. The word prophet meant someone who told you the truth. It was either a foreteller of truth or a foreteller of truth. So to put false on, it makes it an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Things like jumbo shrimp. It's the first word doesn't fit with the second word. In fact, I got a few more. Act naturally, almost exactly, child-proof, genuine imitation, good grief, Microsoft works, 
plastic glasses. What are we eating out of? What are we drinking out of for dinner tonight? Well, get the plastic glasses out. Political science. Pretty ugly. Same difference. Small crowd. There's more. But it's an oxymoron. False prophets are those who are pretending to be something they're not. Instead of leading you the right way, this means that men have come into the, into the playing field that are going to lead you the wrong way. And they come in sheep's clothing. They have their own way. They're not going to point you towards the narrow way that takes you to life where you're following Jesus. They will take you to the broad way that's easy. And we have false prophets among us today. A lot of them are on television. Some of them have pretty smiles and big followings. But they're leading people astray. They're false prophets. And they come in sheep's clothing. A shepherd would wear sheep's clothing because he would simply shear the sheep and the wool he would make out of it, he would wear the garments. And prophets at times wore the same thing. So the fact they come in sheep's clothing, keep in mind, they're not sheep. They're ravenous wolves. The fact you've got somebody else's clothes on doesn't make you that person. So Jesus says, beware, look out, be warned. There are false prophets among you that come in sheep's clothing. Outwardly they look the part. Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. The word ravenous means greedy, predatory, or to seize. And you're going to know them by their fruits. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So how are we going to know these false prophets? He says, good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. So how do we know false prophets? Look at their fruit. If the fruit is bad, the tree's bad. If the fruit is good, the tree's good. You don't gather good fruit from a bad tree. You don't gather bad fruit from a good tree. Or did I just say that the same way? And if, if every tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down, why is it cut down? Well, for one thing, it's not fruitful. It's not useful. It needs to be removed so that something can be put in its place. So beware of false prophets. It's so dangerous because they have attractive methods and it sounds good. The more you know Scripture, the more you're going to recognize the false prophets who are telling you this is what the Bible says. They're false prophets that will quote Scripture that's not even in the Bible. So be careful, beware. So what's the fruit we're looking for? Three things I've come up with. There's probably more, but in my study I want to share three. Number one, a true prophet or a true man or woman of God is going to have a high view of Scripture. The false prophet is going to have a low view of Scripture. They're not going to look at the Bible as the truth of God's Word. They're not going to look at the Bible as the inspired Word of God. 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired and profitable. It's good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So what's your view of Scripture and who are your teachers? What is their view of Scripture? If you've got somebody that gets up and preaches and never opens their Bible, be careful. You may be listening to a false prophet because it's not man's opinion. It's not woman's opinion we need to know. We need to know the truth of God's word. So they have a high view of Scripture, the true prophet. The true prophet also has a correct view of Jesus. Most cults and a lot of false prophets will talk about Jesus. They just won't talk about the truth about Jesus. They'll call him a good teacher. They'll call him a good example. But Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, when he was about 30 years old, he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. When he was about 33, he was arrested, put on trial, condemned, and he died. Hung on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. But he rose from the dead. False prophets, false teachers will not acknowledge most of that because they are not pointing you to the authentic historical Jesus. So they're going to have a low view of Scripture, a low view of Jesus, 
even they're going to have an unclear view of the gospel. The gospel's simple and yet complex. So beware of false prophets because they are among us. Last point, what's the difference? Jesus gets to the difference in verses 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus has talked about the good tree, the bad tree. He's talked about the false prophet. And now he's telling us the difference, how to know the difference between the false prophet and the true prophet. He says, not everyone, which means some people are going to call him Lord, Lord, and they mean it. But not everyone who uses their voice to say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The word Lord means supreme in authority. And you would use the word Lord in those days to show honor to somebody that was maybe your boss or your master. But when you put the two together, you're talking about the Messiah. And Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they're not doing the will of God. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of the Father who's in heaven will enter. So the question to ask yourself if you've wondered, am I a child of God? Are you following the will of God? Or are you following the broad way that leads to destruction? The first few verses that I read, five times he uses do words, practice, bear, to make or do. Two more times in this passage, so in this last few verses he uses the same word. So Jesus is saying, it's not what you do that leads you to Christ, but once you come to Christ, you will do. We're saved by grace through faith, according to Ephesians chapter 2. But in verse 10 it says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God does have a plan for your life. He does have something for you to be doing. Just don't get them backwards. I think there's some people think, look at what all I've done for you. The false prophets that are going to come to Jesus, who he says, I don't know, are going to say, hey, didn't we do all this in your name? Didn't we teach in your name? Didn't we heal people in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? What name are they using? They're using the name Jesus. The problem is they weren't following Jesus. They weren't following his will. It wasn't about what God's will was. It was about their own selfishness. So Jesus says, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. It doesn't mean he wasn't acquainted with them. The word know in Scripture means intimacy. It means Jesus says, you're not one of mine. I don't know you. You can meet somebody famous on the streets today, and you may know everything about them. But if you go up to them and say, hey, you know me? They may say, I've never seen you before in my life. One of my favorite places to go in the springtime as a kid growing up was to Augusta National to the Masters. I was watching a practice round one time, and my hero was Jack Nicklaus, so I was following him. We got to Amen Corner on the 11th hole, and it started pouring down rain. So it was a practice round. We got, went and got under one of the television camera platforms, and you could stand there, and you're out of the rain. And the next thing I know, somebody says, do you mind if I get under here? It was Jack Nicklaus. Well, as soon as he got under there, the crowd got under there too. I'm standing this close and never opened my mouth to say anything to him because I was intimidated. He was my hero. But if I had said, hey, Jack, I know a lot about you. I know that your birthday is January 21st. I know you're colorblind. I know your wife's name is Barbara, and I could have gone on. I kept a scrapbook as a kid for this guy. So I could have said, I know all of this about you. And you know what he said to me? I don't know you. I'm just trying to get out of the rain. And other people were asking him dumb questions. Hey, would you sign my hat? He's like, your hat's soaking wet. 
Let's wait till it dries off. How many golf balls do you use around? As many as it takes. <laughs> but he didn't know me. I just knew him. So you don't want to get to heaven one day knowing all about Jesus, but never having received him in your life. And have Jesus say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. Can you imagine that? So what is the gospel? Four things today, today, and I'll close with this. First, you have to acknowledge your need. The verses I'm going to share are Romans. This, some would call this the Romans road. I want you to, if you want to, write these down. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means everybody in this room has sinned. Yes, I've been to seminary. Yes, I'm a preacher, but I'm still a sinner. And my sin separated me from God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means everything I attempted to reach God failed. I could not reach him. So he reached me. So first is acknowledge that you need. You've got to come to the place where you're at the end of yourself and say, I don't care how good I've been. I don't care how many times I went to church. I don't care how many churches I've been to or what other religious motions you've gone through. Have you ever trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? All have sinned. had a guy sit in my office one time talking to him about the Lord. In fact, he wanted to get married, and so I was talking to him about entering into marriage as a child of God. And you know what he said? He said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a good guy. I don't think I really need that. That's amazing that somebody could be that arrogant to think, I'm not a bad person. How many sins does it take to condemn you to heaven or to hell? Just one. But I've sinned way more than one, and so have you. If there's only three times a day that you think the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing, Add that up over the course of a year, that's a thousand sins. Live to be 70 years old, 70,000 sins. Do you really want to face God someday and say, I'm a good person? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So acknowledge your need. Next, God offers a gift, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? It means what you earn from sin is death. It's what we deserve. But, the verse continues, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God offers a gift. Here's the problem. If somebody offers you a gift, it really hasn't become a complete gift unless you receive it. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's how cool God is. Here's how loving God is. God loved us so much, even when we were walking away from him, even when we were in our sins and trespasses, he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Why? Because we couldn't reach God. He stepped down from heaven to reach us. And he became obedient to the point of death. So Jesus came, lived a sinless life, was crucified on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And so God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 then, the third thing, turn to Jesus. So come to the end of yourself where you acknowledge you have a need. Recognize God's offering a solution to the problem. And then turn to Jesus. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says the demons believe and tremble. They believe in God. They will not acknowledge him as Lord. But you know what? There's coming a day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, Philippians chapter 2, one day every knee will bow. That means the devil's going to have to bow. That means every demon's going to have to bow. Every non-believer will have to bow and acknowledge what you and I do willingly today, and that is Jesus is Lord. 
So you turn to Jesus, and last, you walk in peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified, just as if I'd never sinned. In fact, just as if I'd always done everything right. We're justified, not because of our perfection, not because of our good deeds, but because of the blood of Christ on the cross that paid the penalty for our sins. You can have eternal life. You can have an intimate relationship with God. That's the simple message of the gospel. In fact, John, writing in 1 John, says, chapter 5, verse 13, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope so, not come down to a coin flip, not even go through life thinking 95%. The blessed assurance is you can leave here today knowing and knowing that you know. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you're challenged, if you're questioning, do I know God? Ask him. God, show me. Have your spirit bear witness with my spirit. Give me peace. And Lord, if I don't know you, make that real clear to you because I want to settle the issue today. I want to respond to the message of the gospel. So let's pray to that end. Just bow your heads with me.